Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Mark 6, 45 through 56. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Mark in your Bible. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side to Bethsaida. Oh, my goodness. While he dismissed the crowd, after saying farewell to them, he went up on the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. When he saw that they were straining at the oars against an adverse wind, he came towards them early in the morning, walking on the sea. He intended to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Genesaret and moored the boat. When they got out of the boat, people at once recognized him and rushed about that whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went into the villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Well, I want to start today's passage um, kind of closer to the end. And we're, we're going to go to the end, and then we'll go way back before what Sam read, and then we'll go all the way back to the, the end again. Is that okay? We're gonna, it's going to be a, a circle, maybe, if I do it right. Um, as long as you can keep up? Oh, as long as I can keep up. Okay. Well, the jury's out on that, I, I guess. Well, verse 51, and we, we just heard it. Uh, Mark tells us, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Uh, Mark's Mark's purpose in these verses is not just maybe to show us how confused or how stupid or dense his followers are. Mark has a tendency to be really, really, really difficult, uh, hard on the disciples. Uh, He doesn't doesn't just want us to see how much trouble they are having. I think Mark wants us to understand, uh, well, like that this is kind of normal, that this is, that Jesus will talk to us and tell us things, and sometimes it's just, it's just hard to understand. Uh, but this phrase, I want to look at this one phrase for a second, utterly astounded. Now, we've, we've run across like a phrase similar like this before. Um, utterly, if we could break it down here, utterly means to be extraordinarily, uh, uh, to an extraordinary or to an extreme degree. So uh, extraordinary to an extreme degree. And the second word, astounded, means uh, to become disturbed or astounded to such a degree as to lose mental composure. Utterly, so extremely devoid of mental composure. composure. Has any of you ever been utterly astounded? Something has happened. uh, Maybe it's fearful. Maybe it's good. But your your mind has just freaked out because it, it cannot possibly handle or interpret or understand just what's happening. I know you all have. Don't lie. Thank you. Thank you. 
uh, I, that's, where, that's where Jesus' followers are at the moment. They, they can't understand not just kind of what's happened in the direct uh, part before this, which is Jesus walking on the water to them, which that freaks them out. I, I don't think they can understand uh, all of what happened in, in like most of this chapter. And so Jesus, or Mark is telling us these guys are freaking out. And it's, it's okay. It's okay. Um, but directly before, well, I, I think, yeah, uh, directly before this, Jesus had fed five, the 5,000. We'll look at that in just a second. He had fed the 5,000, and he had sent the disciples on ahead of time. And so they're, they're having a hard time doing that. They're in, they're in the boat, and they're, just, they're either unwilling or unable to comprehend the things that Jesus are say, is, are, is, are, is saying to them, right? I always get those That's mixed up. Uh, I think, though, um, in the context of, of what we're going to dig into here, that it, it makes sense why they are having a hard time understanding. And I think if we stay with it till the very end, we will recognize in our own selves that we have, well, we have similar tendencies to misunderstand or not comprehend what it is that Jesus is saying to us. Or the things that, that God tries to communicate us through our everyday lives about who he is and what he is calling us to do as people or as a community of faith. And sometimes, like the disciples, we become utterly astounded because what God asks us to do sometimes is difficult and it may freak us out just a little bit. Well, I think we, we have to go way back a little bit, actually, um, to before this, the feeding of the 5,000 uh, story. Now, this story takes place in all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and so hopefully it is familiar to you. Slightly different uh, variations in each of those Gospels, but this is basically what happened. Jesus is there among the people. Large crowd has gathered, and in Mark, large crowds are everywhere all the time. They have gathered, and it gets towards the end of the day, and Jesus tells his disciples, why don't you go find, why don't you go find some, some food to feed these 5,000 people? And the disciples are like, what are you talking about? Like, this is, even if we had enough money, there's, there's not enough bread in the area to be able to feed everybody. And so they hem and haul and stammer for a little bit, but finally they come up with a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish. And Jesus takes that meager little meal uh, that'll feed a couple of people, and he prays over it, he blesses it, and he breaks it, and it multiplies, and they begin to hand it out here and there, and soon everybody in the crowd, 5,000 men, at least 5,000 men, maybe even more with women and children. They might not have counted the ladies and the children. And so Jesus has, has done this great and miraculous thing, and everybody is full with things left over. Now, not only is this an interesting, you know, uh, exciting thing that Jesus has done, just on the face value of it, like that you've manufactured food out of thin air, but there's, it's, it's really important and kind of politically important for two particular reasons. Uh, politically in, in terms of like, not our politics, but uh, in how people understand power and things like that. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. So... <laughs> They would have thought back, all of these people in the crowd, they would have thought back to their collective history. And they would have remembered uh, who it was that fed them 
in the desert after they came up out of Egypt, after the Exodus. Uh, it was God, right? So that story, they, they go out and they complain. They're like, oh, at least we had food in Egypt. And they want to go back and go. So God sends something to them. And kids, what, what was that stuff that they collected off the ground? Anybody? Josh? Um, well, they did quails, yeah. Not mayonnaise. Uh, <laughs> Wesley. Manna. Do you remember what manna means? What, go ahead. You said it. You shouted out. Yes? Bread. Bread. Yeah, yeah. It means what is it, right? It's like that's, they looked at this thing like, what is it? And that's the name that stuck. Anyway, so they would have thought back and they would have said, this is ringing some bells. Like we were hungry in the wilderness and God provided for us every day. All we had to do is walk out onto the ground and scoop this stuff up and make bread with it. And it was good. And God took care of us. And so I'm sure that in their minds, they're making some of these connections and they're like, this guy, Jesus, he's, he's healing people. Um, he's teaching really, really well. And, and it's just really great. And, and now he's brought bread out of nothing. Like there's only one other person in the, in the, you know, like in the history of our, our faith who has done anything like that. And so they're beginning to think, yeah, there's something important about this Jesus guy. He's, maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe he's the one who's going to liberate us from oppression now, from the Romans, and he's going to become king in Israel once again. So they've got that kind of in the back of their head. Uh, The second thing that's important politically is that in the day, in the culture, if you could feed people, if you could pass out bread and feed multitudes of people who were destitute and poor, uh, that was a signifier of your power in the world. If you could provide bread for people, that means that you could do other things for them as well. And if you, if you were not the king and you started providing lots of bread for people, the king's probably going to get upset because he sees you as a threat to his power. And so the crowd hears the thing, okay, okay, bread from nothing, manna in the wilderness, uh, Kings provide bread, they feed people, they're the ones who hold real power. Like, ah, it just kind of comes together. And they're beginning to think, maybe, maybe, just maybe, this is the new king. Maybe this is the one who's going to set us free. And we don't know this for sure, but this happens in other places in the Gospels. I think, I think that Jesus thinks, and I think the crowd thinks, that they are going to come and take Jesus and make him king and start a revolution in Israel. I, I think that's where this whole thing is headed because you get 5,000 people and, well, crazy things happen when you get 5,000 people together, especially when you fed them out of nothing. And so I think Jesus, Jesus, right after this, he dismisses his folks, uh, his disciples. Uh, look at that there. Immediately, he made his disciples go into the boat and go on ahead to the other side to, the, to, to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. I think... I think Jesus understood what the people were thinking and to protect his disciples, he dismissed them and told them to go away. And so they hop on a boat and they go to cross the, the lake. And, and he stays to dismiss the crowd. Now, now Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus said. We don't know what it said, but it worked because they all went away. I think, I think Jesus, maybe he's, 
Maybe he proclaimed to them that, yes, he is who he is or who they think he is, but he's not going to be the Messiah in the kind of way that they think maybe he is. We don't know. He dismisses them. And then he goes and does what he needs to do after an experience like that. Uh, He goes off and he prays. I think think not Jesus, I think maybe he goes off to praise because uh, if the people were tempted for him to become king and powerful and kick out the Romans, uh, that maybe he was tempted as well. I I think Jesus understood. He knew what was coming. I think he knew that that his route to being king, uh, the king of all that is, of heaven and earth, was was through suffering and death on a cross. And Jesus being fully human in everything that he is and and fully God at the same time is beginning maybe to think, well, wouldn't it be easier if I just really became king here and now and did all the things that the people wanted me to do instead of suffering, dying, defeating death and sin and raising from the dead? I think Jesus stays and he prays. I have no proof of that. That's just kind of what I think happened. Well, Jesus, he goes and uh, he, he goes out and he's like, I got to go catch up with the, uh, with the disciples. And uh, he goes and he, there's no boat on the shore. And he looks out and he sees them halfway off. And the disciples have been in the middle of the lake and there is a strong wind and there are waves. And the disciples are straining at the oars. They cannot, they are not making any progress at all. And uh, it's just, it is, it is hard. It is hard for them. I, I wonder, I wonder if, uh, as he's looking out there and, and as the disciples are going, if, I wonder if Mark intends this to be somewhat of a metaphor. Now, I have no doubt that this actually happened. But I wonder if this whole being in the boat in the middle of the winds and the waves and the struggle to get somewhere is a metaphor for the disciples and their un- inability to understand what Jesus is trying to teach them. Uh, that all of their context, all of their culture, the, the wind and the waves of their culture, if you will, everything they learned from they were wee little kids on up has got them thinking one particular way and Jesus is trying to get them to think a different particular way and the two are clashing and they're trying to understand but the wind and the waves are impeding their progress. I don't know. Maybe that's what Mark intends. I think it works, though. When he saw that they were straining at the oars against the adverse whim, he came towards them early in the morning, uh, walking on the sea. He intended to pass them by. So not, not only does he bring food out of nowhere, he walks on water. Walks on water. Now, there, there's a couple of things that are important here. One... In a couple different places in the Old Testament, uh, there's some imagery about God walking on water, particularly in Job and, and Psalm 77. And, and so I think, I think what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to help his disciples understand, who would have known these things kind of already. He's trying to help them understand who he is. He's like, look, I'm walking on the water. I'm God, Right? It may too have just been that it was like the most efficient way to get to the boat without a boat. I don't know. 
but he's, he's walking on the water and he's coming to him. And, and this is where their utter astounding, you know, it begins to happen because they see this figure walking on the water and they begin to freak out. See, the sea, the sea was a, a godless place of chaos where demons were thought to live. And so uh, if you're on the sea and it is wild and it is crazy and you see a figure coming towards you, you are automatically thinking that, he, well, that it is, it is something that is not good. So they, they begin to freak out. Uh, the second thing there is he intended to pass them by. Well, I, I don't think that Jesus was just trying to walk ahead of them and like, you know, he's going to pass them up and beat them to the other side and be like, hey, hey, suckers, you spent all night out there. By the way, Mark tells us that it's the, the fourth watch. Is that what it was? The fourth watch is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So the disciples have been at this for a while. I don't think that's what he's, he's intending to do. Um, Again, he's trying to help them understand through the story of the Old Testament who he is. Uh, this phrase, intended to pass them by, kind of echoes back to, to Moses and Elijah. When God, when God told those men, I'm going to pass by and you're going to see and feel my presence among you. So I think Mark wants us to understand that what Jesus is doing in this moment as he is walking on the water is a, well, is a moment of revelation to them. Uh, Jesus is trying to say with, with his actions and not just his words that, look, I am, I am God. I am the Messiah. I am the one who is coming to take away the sins of the world, to heal and restore, to redeem, and to bind up broken things. And they are utterly astounded. They, they, they still, they're afraid and they, they still don't get it. He gets to them and uh, right before he hops in the boat, he says, but immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Uh, this is the last thing that, that Jesus does uh, to help them understand. Now what you and I miss in the English translation is the actual words that Jesus uses in this, in this place. He literally says, take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. Now, if you remember your Old Testament stories, if you remember Moses at the burning bush, you guys remember that story? Moses at the burning bush. And Moses, he's, he's stalling because he, he doesn't want to go to Egypt. And he's trying to get every last bit of stuff out of God that he can. And he asks God, who shall I say is sending me? And God responds, I am. The I am is sending you. Uh, now this is really important because this becomes, well, this is like a pivotal moment for, for Israel. In fact, what God says in that particular moment is what Israel will end up calling God, Yahweh. That's, that's kind of what the Hebrew is right there. Uh, I am. I am who I am. That's all we need to know. Like, like that's, this is who I am. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's saying this to the disciples. It's like the very God who created everything, the very God who, who promised things to Abraham, who, who gave land uh, to your ancestors, the very God who brought you up out of Egypt, who loved you, who made you into a giant people. I am. 
and he hops in the boat. It brings us back to where we started, right? And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the lows, but their hearts were hardened. By the way, I don't think that Jesus was hardening their hearts. We think back to Pharaoh and that story. I think, and this, I intended to say this earlier, but I forgot, which is why I got mixed up. I think they were unable to, to understand what God was saying to them uh, because of all of the things that they had learned from the very beginning. Like that Jesus revealing who he is is fighting against, uh, is fighting against all of their understandings, their preconceived notions about what God is, who God is, and what God is calling them to do. I wonder, I wonder if, uh, well, if maybe we get a little too hard on the disciples in the same way that maybe Mark is a little bit too hard on the disciples. Uh, I wonder if at the end of the day, after God does amazing things, after God reveals himself to us uh, through his word, through the spirit, that we end up being like the disciples, utterly astounded and afraid. I, I, I wonder if, like the disciples, we are in our wee little boat, adrift in our own little sea of culture and context, and we are straining hard at the oars, and we are getting absolutely nowhere. And we are tired, and we are frustrated, and we are worn out, and even when God does show up, we see it and we totally don't understand what it is that we should do, what God is trying to say to us. I think, I think this happens. I think this happens to me all the time. And I, I know it may, may happen for you all. Uh, that we hear, we hear things. Uh, and maybe, maybe somebody growing up taught you about a Jesus that, that really didn't, well, that really wasn't the Jesus that wanted you to love your neighbor as yourself. Or it really wasn't the Jesus that wanted you to forgive other people. I don't know. But I think, I think you and I were stuck in this place. This is common, by the way. This is nothing new. I think we're stuck in a place where everything that is around us, the wind and waves of our place, of our culture, are crashing over our boat and we're getting nowhere. So I think Mark, I think Jesus, wants us to confess our slowness. To confess how much it is that we are like the disciples, how much we don't understand often what God is saying to us. To confess and to ask God to continue to reveal himself to us and that we might hear and see and fully understand and know what God is, is doing, who Jesus is and what Jesus is calling us to do. I think perhaps my favorite part of this, though, is the fact that that after all of that, after the feeding of the 5,000, where, where everybody's misunderstanding what Jesus has come to do. He's coming to forgive sins and make everything right, but he's not coming to kick the Romans out. He's not, he's not coming to be the real king. 
in place of Caesar. As even after he feeds the 5,000, even after he walks on the water and says, hey, look, I did this before. I'm doing it now. I'm God. And even after he comes and uh, he passes by and reveals himself to them. And even after he says, hey, look, I am. Do not be afraid. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God of Moses and David and all the rest of them. And then he hops in the boat and the wind and waves die down. And Mark doesn't give us a story about how he chastises his disciples. At least not in this particular place. I think at that moment, maybe he's a little frustrated that they're a little slow to understand. But I think more importantly, he's continuing to be committed to them in grace and in steadfast love to teach them who it is that they should be, to teach them who he is and what he's, what he's doing for forgiveness of sins. And I think as much as we are like the disciples in that we don't understand and we are slow, that God is committed to us in the same kind of way. That if we will be committed to God, that we, if, we, if we continue to follow, even if we are mistaken most of the time, that God's grace will continue to reveal to us who it is that Jesus is and what it is that Jesus is saying we should do. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.